Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All right, lots to get to today on the GM Shuffle. Of course, it is conference championship weekend, so we look forward to the games on Sunday involving the AFC champion and the NFC champion. But major hires, the Eagles get their head coach. Trent Baalke is now the GM of the Jaguars. Dwayne Haskins, it's a second chance. All that more coming up. We kick it off, Mike, with one of the more entertaining press conferences you'll ever see. Dan Campbell, the new head coach with the Detroit Lions. You know, people get tired of boring coach speaking the same old nonsense. Well, this is a 44-year-old who is viewed as a motivator and somebody who can bring a team together instead of just an X's and O's guy. Before I get Mike's take, take a listen in case you missed it, what Campbell had to say. This place has been kicked, it's been battered, it's been bruised, and I can sit up here and give you coach speak all day long. I can give you, uh, you know, hey, we're going to win this many games. I can't, that, uh, none of that matters, and you guys don't want to hear it anyway. You've had enough of that shit, so excuse my language. All right, here's what I do know, is that this team is going to take on the identity of this city, all right? And the city's been been down, and it found a way to get up, all right? It's found a way to uh, overcome adversity, all right? And so this team's going to be built on, uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth, all right? And, and when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off, all right? And we're going to stand up, and then it's going to take two more shots to knock us down. All right. And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap and we're going to get up and then it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you before before long. We're going to be the last one standing. All right. That's going to be the mentality. So this is a team in a franchise. One playoff win in the Super Bowl era, their last division title in 1993. And Jack Campbell's talking cannibalism. At the very least, Mike, he won the press conference. That was entertaining. Yeah, I mean, look, it is entertaining. And, and it's not phony. I mean, I'll give them that. I mean, everybody tells me Dan Campbell is, that's who he is every single day. But for me, you know, that's great. You know, let's punch you in the mouth. I love toughness. I think that's important. But I, I think we need a plan here. I think, you know, there's one thing that you got to have when you come become a head coach is you've got to have a comprehensive plan. And it can't just be based on toughness. It's got to be based on intellectual toughness. Like, how are we going to be smartly tough? And this this hiring of Campbell has has Chris Spielman written all over it. I mean, when you listen to Chris Spielman do a game, you know, what he talks about during the game, pad level, eye level, you know, shoulders, the flipper, you know, everything's the nine on seven game. And, you know, this is like I just heard Chris Spielman give his head coaching talk. So, look, I think I like Campbell in the sense that he's got big picture viewpoint. You know, he's going to be the head coach of the team. He's going to try to de derive uh, toughness from the team, but he's got to intellectually challenge himself to grow as well because he can't just stay, you know, this kind of guy. That that wears off on pro players. It doesn't wear off on college players. This style ultimately needs graduation, which is why it works in college and not in pro. So, you know, I think they're going to need it. Now, they just had, they just basically went through an era of, you know, they just got kicked in the mouth by a guy that they didn't really respect. So this is a former player who gains their respect. He's got to give them the, the intellectual stimulation that they need. Yeah, and I mean, there, it has been a long time where they've had a really forceful personality. Like I said, with Patricia, he's a guy he didn't respect. Caldwell actually put up decent numbers, but the the 
team and the organization thought they'd get to the next level. So at the very least, I appreciate the ferocity and the fact he's outspoken. And if he can make some changes, so be it. Yeah, I mean, it's really going to be how consistent and authentic he stays true to himself. You know, I was talking to somebody who works with Jeff Bridges the other day, and and he wrote Black Sails, which is one of the great shows on Stars. Jonathan Steinberg, and he's a huge Eagle fan. So we were having a conversation yesterday about about uh, the Eagles' selection of the new head coach, and I was asking him about Jeff Bridges because you know he works with them, and and of course Campbell wanted to be you know part of the Big Lebowski and and the dude you know, and like who wouldn't want to have a beer with Jeff Bridges? Like seriously, wouldn't you just want to have a beer with Jeff Bridges and just talk to him? And I, so I was asking him, I was like, is he, is he authentic as he appears? And the, and the guy's like, yeah, he's 100% who he is. And that for Dan Campbell has to be what he needs to be. He needs to be 100% authentic every single day. He's going to really need to have a good staff. And he's going to have to drive his staff as much as he drives the players. Like, he's going to have to be in a different boat. Like, they're not all together. This only works when you're constantly driving everybody. And does it work for a long time? I don't know about that, but it's got to work for the short term to get them turned around. I think the interesting factor here of this whole situation is they gave Campbell a six-year contract, right, A.D.? So why give a young, unproven head coach a six-year contract? Like, you know, give him five, four, or or give him three with three years of an option. You know, something like that. You know, that was the Al Davis special. You know, get, get him some security, but make him earn the security. I, I think this six-year has got to be, they're going to do something with Stafford this offseason. I think they're going to transform the team. Why else give a six-year contract if you're not, if you're, if you have the quarterback, of the future, you know, go five years, four years, and then see what he does from there. I think this says, hey, look, we're going to kind of get to the root of the issue. Maybe we use Stafford as an asset. We trade him. And then, you know, this way you have the security to know you can rebuild the team. That is impressive. Uh, a contract, like you said, for a guy at 44, first-time head coach. And if they were to deal Stafford, wow, could you imagine? I'm sure they would get uh, a good sum back as far as assets are concerned. And clearly, they've got lots of holes in different areas to shore up. So we'll keep uh, a close watch on that situation. Now it's time for our segment brought to you by Harvey Keitel and the Irishman. Now's not the time to not say. That's right. The Philadelphia Eagles have hired their new head coach. The word started to come down that it was between two guys, New England Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniel, and the guy who they hired, Colts offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni, 39 years of age. And this is a real simple one, Mike. You go, okay, what's the connection? Oh, that's right. So Sirianni, uh, Frank Reich's right-hand man in Indianapolis. He was a quarterback's coach when Reich was the Chargers offensive coordinator in 2014 and 2015. Clearly, when Carson Wentz was at his best, it's when Frank Reich was his offensive coordinator, near MVP campaign back in 2017. So if you can't get Reich, might as well get the closest guy to it here is Sirianni. So to me, this is a clear signal, as even Eagles owner uh, Jeffrey Lurie had said after firing Doug Peterson, it behooves us as a team with a new coach, a new coaching staff, to be able to really get Wentz back to that elite progression. This is a, a no-brainer, I guess, if you're like, hey, our biggest issue is fix Wentz. This guy is who we believe can fix Wentz. I know you were a, a big fan of McDaniels as well, but what do you think of the hire? Well, I mean, this is, I mean, there's no comparison between uh, Nick Sirianni and Josh McDaniels. I mean, there's just none. I'm, I'm, just because I'm friends with Josh doesn't, you know, like you put two of these people in the room and, you know, Nick just doesn't have half the experience or half the intellect, offensively, defensively, kicking game, culture building, all that. Than Josh would have. I mean, it's this is it's not 
It's not even close. It's not debatable. I don't really give a shit what people think about Josh or he failed at Denver. Like, it's not even close. Like, it's not, not even, like, they're two, two separate entities. And I mean, I've talked to enough people in the league in and around everything that, that clearly get, clearly get that. This is a, this is about fit, which you have to understand what the Eagles really value. The Eagles value their organization over the head coach. I value the head coach makes the organization. They value the organization makes the head coach. So they feel the sum of their parts can prop everybody up. They are truly on a on a, on a nostalgia tour once again. They continue to do this. This is back to 17 Frank Wright. Remember, when the Eagles hired Frank Wright to be their offensive coordinator, he had just been fired in San Diego. No one, and so was Seriani. No one thought those two guys were great coaches then. They come in, and after one year, there was a lot of talk. After that one year, there was a lot of talk about Frank Wright getting fired in Philly. Okay. And that didn't happen because they changed. And I do think what happened the first year was Doug was relying on everything he did at Kansas City. You know, I used to say this all the time. All Doug did was steal Kansas City plays and run him his first year. And then the second year, they changed, which led me to believe that Reich had more of an influence. But Peterson fought hard for Doug. Uh, Doug Peterson fought hard for Frank Wright to keep him after year one. And so it's interesting. This job clearly came from Frank Wright calling Jeffrey Lurie. Because Seriatis was on no one's radar. He's never called a play in the NFL. I mean, you know... You've never called a play. You've never been a head coach. You've never had a head coaching interview before. Like, like you've never even done that. Like, this is going to be a challenge. And so, for me, what it says very simply is this, that the Eagles value their organization's ability to help the head coach, not the head coach's ability to help the organization. So, they're, they brought him in here to, fix, to help fix Carson Wentz, and they'll fix everything else. They hired a specific, he's a subcontractor. They hired him to fix something. And it's, it's, he walks into a very tough situation. He walks into a, a very, very tough market to win in. And he walks in with a team that's going to be challenging. And the general manager, Howie Roseman, you know, gets someone that he is not going to be threatening to him. I mean, you know, let's be honest. I mean, Josh McDaniels is used to doing things his way. He wants to do it. And, you know, whether Howie could get along with them or not, that remains to be seen. But, they have an influence. Their analytical department will have an influence. Their personnel department, everybody will have. It's the sum of the organization has an influence with Nick Sirianni, not the head coach. That's what they want. That's the vision of how they see building a team. And they have every right to do that, right? They have every right to do that. I don't agree. No doubt. And to your point about Howie Roseman, Mike, listen, he's done some good things. Obviously, they won a Super Bowl. I recognize he helped build that team, but he's also has some whiffs. I mean, they've made some draft picks. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside missing on Justin Jefferson. He's been unable to get the linebackers sorted out, the secondary. I mean, at some point, I don't think it's now, obviously, but at some point, I hope Jeffrey Lurie says, hey, this isn't all in the coaches. This is going to be on Howie Roseman as well. He's going to take some responsibility for not building a strong enough roster here. I don't think that'll ever happen. I mean, I don't think that'll ever happen. I think Howie's there for life. I don't think that's ever, because he's just, he never, he's never really going to have to, because the organization's involved, not just one person, you know? And so... And Jeffrey has complete confidence in Howie. You know, he sees something in Howie that perhaps others don't see, you know, and, and I have never worked with Howie, really have never been around Howie, so I don't know. 
But I mean, I believe that, you know, Jeffrey sees something. He's watching a different game when it comes to Howie than everybody else seems to be watching. And he thinks he's running a GM factory, you know, and so and Howie's developing all these GMs. And that's what he's entitled to believe. I think there's no doubt. But what what got this done? If people want to know about how do coaches become head coaches, Jeffrey Lurie listened to Frank Wright. Because I can tell you this, and I'm not going to say anything negative about Nick Sirianni, but I wasn't even trying to do homework on Nick Sirianni, and I heard a lot of things. Like, Frank Wright got him this job. Frank Wright said he's smart. He can help you fix Wentz. He went in the interview. He gave him, Frank Wright gave him all the test answers before the test because he knows how the Eagles operate. He understands the dynamics of the building. And so he basically coached Sirianni up on how the culture works and gave him the words that he has to say to be the culture. This is going to be a really hard job. This is, make no mistake about it, this is going to be a really hard job. And there's nowhere in his resume that says he's prepared for this. And the, and the city of Philadelphia is not the place that you learn to become a head coach. It's really not. So, you know, the organization is going to support him. They believe the organization supported Doug. They ran out of time because intellectually they didn't feel they could continue that way. We'll see what happens here. It's like a heist. It was an inside job, right? It's a lot easier to pass the test when somebody's feeding you the answers. So Frank Reich hopefully gets 10% from Sirianni. There's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, look, AD, if, if you put McDaniels in a room and you put Sirianni in a room, there's this not disrespectful. They are apples to oranges. They are way different. Now, you could say, well, Josh might be hard to get along with, okay? The, like, there's not a box that Josh can't check off when it comes to football knowledge. He's on Belichick's level there. He's on Nick Saban's level there. Now, you may not like him. You may not like the Patriots. You may not like all that stuff. You're entitled. You're wrong, but you're entitled. You, you really don't know what the fuck you're talking about when you, when you question that because you have no idea. But everybody can question football intelligence. But I'm just telling you, there's no comparison, none whatsoever. That being said, it may not have been the right fit for them. And you say, well, why hasn't McDaniels, didn't he get more interviews? Because ultimately, as we've talked about on this podcast many times, I mean, it's a, it's an elected position, not a selected, it's selected position. I mean, I think if the Eagles really had their way, they would have hired Arthur Smith. I don't think, and I can't verify this yet, but I don't think they could get Arthur Smith. I think they wanted Arthur Smith. They couldn't get him. He went to Atlanta. There's some talk about that out there. I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but Arthur Smith, he interviewed in Philly. He went there because he knew going into Philly, there was going to be a lot of hurdles to jump. Well, that's interesting. I hope that McDaniels gets a shot somewhere because like I said, he certainly has had the resume and the acumen. He will get an opportunity. I mean, look, you know, we talk about the great line, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. It's rhyming for a guy like Josh McDaniels. I mean, Bill Walsh, you know, couldn't get an interview. Paul Brown killed Bill Walsh. He didn't want to lose him as an offensive coordinator, so he killed him. No team called for him, right? And he couldn't get an interview. So when he got passed over as the head coach of the Bengals, he just said, fuck it, I'm leaving. I'm going to become the Chargers offensive coordinator. And he did. He went there. And then he went to Stanford for two years, and he finally got his opportunity at like 49 years old. He couldn't get a, he couldn't get a sniff. He invented the West Coast offense. He couldn't get a sniff. And people said he was – Paul Brown put all this shit about him. He was difficult. He wasn't this. He had a, read any book on Walsh. He'll tell you all about it. It's the same thing. Vince Lombardi went through the same thing. Good coaches go through it. 
You know, when Belichick was trying to get another job, everybody, oh, he's impossible. You know, there's a thousand fucking opinions, a thousand. None of them know what the hell they're talking about. Like none of them know what they're talking about. People have an opinion on coaches. They have no idea what they're talking about. Zero. But they have opinions on them. You know, they judge them. You know, they look at the one loss, right? Oh, this guy's a great coach. They have no idea what they're talking about. So it'll come back around for McDaniels. He'll get one. He'll get the right one. This one clearly wasn't the right one because there's too much politicalness within that organization. And that organization truly is on a nostalgia tour. They want to recreate lightning in the bottle. They caught lightning in a bottle in the 17th season. They won a Super Bowl. Hats off. Praise them but it's hard to duplicate. Fix Wentz and they'll love Sirianni forever. There's no doubt about that. Easier said than done. We'll get to Haskins in a second. I just want a quick thought, Mike, any of these, if you want them. Terry Fontenot hired as the Falcons GM, the Jaguars hiring Trent Baalke as the GM, and the Washington football team to hire the 49ers executive, Martin Mayhew as GM. Any thoughts on those? You know, I was surprised. Uh, you know, everybody told me Baalke was not going to get that, that Scott Pioli was. I don't know who put that rumor out, but Baalke obviously got it. He was in San Francisco when they won some games. It'll be interesting to see the partnership between him and Urban Meyer. Fascinating hire. I love Joe Cullen. Nice person. D-line coach. They hired him as a defense coordinator. I've never seen that before. It's going to be hard for a D-line coach to become coordinator. That was an interesting hire by Urban Meyer. Martin Mayhew is going to report to Ron Rivera, but it's good for Martin Mayhew. He got himself a gig. It's going to be a hard gig because they're going to have a lot of issues to solve in Washington. And Fontenot, look, he comes from a winning program. He comes from the Saints. He can partner with Arthur Smith and together they can rebuild that franchise. It's going to take some time to do that down there. But, you know, and then I think Brad Holmes is the, really in the in the hardest spot of all because he's got Spielman dealing with, he's got to deal with Spielman who says he's not really involved, but yet he's in there coaching players on fundamentals and technique and watching tape with them. But I'm not really involved. Yeah. Like, could you imagine me working for Belichick and I got, you know, and I got Devin McCourty over there teaching him free safety play and I'm not even his fucking coach. I mean, seriously, how do you think that would go over? That would, that would be not real good. You know, could you imagine that? Oh, hey, Devin, I want to go over some fundamentals and techniques with you. Like, you don't even know what we're teaching. Like, like seriously. But that's the Detroit Lions. Yeah, go figure. Um, want to do a little on Dwayne Haskins before we get to the games. Haskins gets a second chance with the Pittsburgh Steelers. First round draft pick in 2019, one-year deal with the Steelers, released by Washington. We all know what happened. Photograph without a mask at his girlfriend's birthday party. Find $40,000 for a second breach of the COVID-19 protocols. Lost his captaincy, partying with strippers. Still started against the Panthers, played poorly, was benched, then demoted in favor of another player, Taylor Heineke, and then abruptly released. Pittsburgh, we know what the situation there is, Mike. Roethlisberger, wait a minute, $40 million over the cap, one more deal. I mean, it's uh, a little ugly as far as what's going to happen with the quarterbacking situation. Maybe Ben retires. Maybe he plays the one more year. Maybe Mason Rudolph's the answer. Or maybe they figure, why not? Let's give uh, Haskins a chance. This isn't a surprise in that you and I both said he would get another chance. But listen, this is your one shot. Mike Tomlin is not going to suffer fools gladly. It's put up or shut up. Yeah, I mean, he has no choice, right? I mean, this is the last stop. When I remember when I was... Uh, I remember talking to Tyrone Wheatley after we traded for him. Jimmy Johnson traded him to us for like a seventh if when I was at the Raiders. And, and you know, we, we called him in and I said, Tyrone, there's a sign that leaves Barstow, California. It said, eat here, we both starve because there's no place between Barstow and Vegas to do anything. <laughs> 
And this is, you know, this is our last chance and your last chance to solve the problem. So either eat here or we both starve. Nice. And I think that's the case for Haskins. If he can't make it with with Mike and and he doesn't buy into Mike's program and, and handle the discipline, whomever Mike hires is his offensive coordinator. He's talking to Pep Hamilton. He's talking to uh He's talking to Hugh Jackson, which is fascinating. I know Hugh and and Mike are close friends. You know, I, I think if you're Hugh Jackson, you better get yourself a job and kind of get some of the stink off you, the uh, the the improve the people that you can actually coach. That you're not a cartoon character. That you actually have ability to run an offense and can coach, and that you're not not waiting for a head coaching job or someone to give you one. So I, I think that's going to be important. Or Matt, Eric keeps Matt Canada as his quarterback coach. I think that's going to be interesting. And so we'll see. But I mean, look, Haskins, we talked about, it. he's always going to get another opportunity. Now he's got to make the most of it. I mean, this is really the end. But I want to touch on something that I just read this morning, AD, that this, I, I just think this Robert Salai in New York is going to be really entertaining. So he comes out today and said, I want players to know I'll help them get paid as much as possible. Like if you're the owner of the of the if you're the owner of the team, right? You know that sounds good, right? That sounds really good. You know, you know, uh, he thinks players are in this thing together, right? I get that, right? Like, but you don't have to tell. Like that makes your management sit there and say, like, how do you negotiate a contract and not pay the player what what he thinks he's worth, right? How do you do that? Like, well, you said you were going to get me paid as much as possible, and now you're offering me this. Like, how does that work? How does that work? You know, I'm all for paying the players, and I think a coach's job is about your ability to make the players better. No denying that. No denying that. But you can't say that because then when you go offer them a deal, you said you wanted me to get paid as much as possible, and now you're saying I'm only worth this? It doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you say that? Yeah, I'm about to say, when you're talking to both sides of your mouth, eventually people are not going to be happy with you because you can't be uh, sending mixed messages, as they say. When we come back, we're going to preview the NFC and AFC Championship games. Is Patrick Mahomes playing? We'll tell you next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
check the most up-to-date betting lines by using the DraftKings Sportsbook app as we dive into the conference championship games. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers, Sunday at 3.05. The Bucs, the NFL's top rushing defense during the regular season, holding opponents to 80.6 yards per game. That's interesting because, hey, maybe that means they can shut down Aaron Jones. They played once in the regular season. Tampa Bay won handily, 38-10, to and Aaron Jones manages 15 yards on 10 carries. So that's something to keep an eye on, especially after the Packers beat the Rams on Saturday, 188 rushing yards, the most in a playoff game since Rodgers became the starter. For the Packers, look at their O-line. The league's best pass block with rate and run block and rate this season. They're playing without their all-pro left tackle David Bakhtiari. But of course, Mike, everyone wants to focus on the quarterbacks. Rodgers and Brady, when you add it up, these guys total 80 years of age. Green Bay at home, 25 degrees in the snow. It's tough to bet against Aaron Rodgers. How do you break this one down? Yeah, I do. I think it is tough to bet against him. And obviously, it was Rodgers' worst game of the season. Throws two interceptions, one pick six, one that got down to the two-yard line. You know, I, I think what they have to do is change what they... Their approach in the last game was they were trying to get the run game going. Aaron Jones had 10 carries for 15 yards. I think they got to change their approach against Todd Bowles' defense. I think they've got to take a different way and throw the ball in a more controlled passing game. And I think they will. I think it's a hard game for the Bucks. I think it's a hard game for the Bucks. I don't know if Antonio Brown's going to be able to play. That'll truly be a game-time decision with his knee. But that they're going to have to be able to convert those third and shorts. When that game started out down in Tampa, Green Bay was up 10 to nothing early in the game. And Rodgers made some plays with his feet moving around. The Bucks' defense was playing really well. They put pressure on, on, on Rodgers in that game. Now, without you know Bakahari at left tackle, they're going to have Billy Lang over there. Can Jason Pierre-Paul really affect this? The way Rodgers is playing, it just makes me feel like it's just too hard for him. There's always a game that 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 looks like it's going to be close come playoff time, but then it doesn't stay close and there's a route in the game. I just think Rodgers is going to be hard to defend and hard to match point for point in this game. I like Green Bay here. You know, uh, the line is starting to move a little bit down. I mean, right now it 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 went to three and it was opened at four. It went to three and a half. Now it's coming down to three. So it's 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 to me it's a it's almost a pick 'em game, you know. And when you look at it, the money the money line has got eighty one percent of the money is on the the Packers in the money line. So that tells you a lot. Whereas in the Buffalo Kansas City game, you know Buffalo's got sixty one percent of the money in the money line, which which means a lot of people think Buffalo's going to win. They're going to take those odds better than taking the points. So I like Green Bay here. I think it's going to be hard for Brady and the boys to go up there and match point for point with them. I think the Bucs have been fortunate. They've played two shitty quarterbacks in the playoffs. You know, even though Taylor Hankey did a really nice job, I'm not calling it, and Breeze couldn't throw the ball. This will be the biggest challenge for the defense, and this is where I don't think they'll play as well. It would be an incredible story to see Tom Brady in a Super Bowl again, 43 years of age, first time in Tampa, but I'm with you. I think the Packers indeed get it done. First home conference championship game for Aaron Rodgers. He's fired up. Now to the game you alluded to, the Bills and the Chiefs, 640 Eastern on AFC, championship game. Uh, listen, for the Bills, the huge question is this, is Mahomes playing or not? You know, if he does play, the Bills are one of the few teams that you would think can score. They averaged 34.7 points per game since week nine of the regular season. 
If they don't have Patrick Mahomes, okay, fine. Andy Reid's going to use a bunch of trick plays and do what he can with Chad Henney, but that's obviously the major question. The last that Andy Reid was saying was, Mahomes looks good, feels good, has yet to pass the protocol officially. Here's the thing for Buffalo, Mike, and I'm curious the way you would analyze this. Is it the fact they have not played their best game yet, a source of optimism? Because you say, well, heck, they beat the Colts by three, they beat the Ravens, when that game could have been a flip if Lamar Jackson doesn't throw that interception. Well, wait for the Bills' offense to get get unshackled. You know, they're due for a big game. Therefore, they, they can win this. Or do you go the other way and say, hang on a second. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. The competition has been steeper and Buffalo's offense proven that they're not as good as we thought. They can't run the ball. They, they called the 20 straight pass plays at one point and Josh Allen can only do so much. Which one is it? Is it the Bills are due or is it they're not as good as we thought? Well, you know, they've won two playoff games without playing a complete playoff game. I think there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt that they They've done that. They're going to have to play a complete game to win this one. And playing a complete game, I don't think it means they play their they play stellar defense. I think it means they play complementary offense. So I think the only way you're going to beat Kansas City, and obviously let's put Mahomes in perspective. Yes, he will play. But if you're Sean McDermott, you know no quarterback sneaks. He's not going to run a quarterback sneak. I mean, they're not going to risk getting him hit again. I mean, because if he gets up wobbly, he's done. Game's over. I don't think they're going to let him run the option. I think they're going to want to limit how much he moves in the pocket. Now, he's cleared to play, and I'm sure that's fine, but you got to hold your breath every time he moves around. And I don't think you want to just call a quarterback sneak and have him get in there. Because remember, the game in Mexico City, he got hurt when they called that quarterback sneak. So I think you got to think about that. The other way, I think you have to play this game much like the Patriots played the game when they beat him in the conference championship game in Kansas City. You know, the Patriots start that game off. They get the opening kickoff. They have one drive in the first quarter, touchdown. They have three drives in the second quarter. They go interception, punt, touchdown. All right? So they go into halftime. Basically, they controlled the ball for over 20 minutes in the first half, over 20 minutes, and they punted. Now, you can punt against the Chiefs in the first half. When you punt in the second half, it becomes dangerous, right? So now we go to halftime. And basically, the you know basically the Chiefs have really done very little on offense in that game, and the Patriots are up fourteen to nothing. They go into the half. Okay, so we come back out in this game, and obviously the Chiefs are desperate. They get the opening kickoff. They go right down the field and score. Okay, the Patriots go down. They go six plays, and they got a punt. The Chiefs get, but but they take time off the clock. I mean, they take three minutes and thirty. They take time off the clock. So then the Chiefs get the ball again. And they can't get a first down. So now we're into the fourth quarter. And this is where it gets fascinating, AD. We're into the fourth quarter. The Patriots can't convert. They have to get a kickoff after a touchdown. The Chiefs get a touchdown in the fourth quarter. They go, they go nine play drive. So now it's it's four, now we basically have tied it's 17-14, right? The Patriots come back down. They lose the ball on downs. Then they get an interception in the fourth, right? They get an intercept. So they've turned the ball over basically twice in the fourth quarter. The Chiefs have the ball for three minutes and 13 seconds in the fourth quarter and score 24 points. 24 points in the fourth quarter with the ball three minutes and 13 seconds. That's remarkable. Remarkable. At the end of the day, the Patriots had this ball for 44 minutes and the and the uh, and and the Chiefs had it for twenty, and change, and they were still had to go to overtime to win the game. Think about that. That's how this game has to go for 
the the for the for the the Bills to win. It's no different than what Carolina did. Carolina had the ball 38 minutes. They had it 21. They scored 33 points in 21 minutes against Carolina. This is the game. You got to control the ball. And here's what can happen. You can't punt in the second half. You've got to be able to win the second half. You've got to have possessions in the second half where you score, you don't turn the ball over. And that's how you're going to win the game. And I think the Bills can do that. I think the Bills offense, I think Dayball understands that. Now, he's not going to run the ball as much because he's not a great run team. But all those throws to Beasley and all those matchups, he can do. I think he can't play from behind. He's got to play from in front. But he needs the ball last to win the game. Yeah, the Chiefs are just so explosive. Like you said, you got to match them punch for punch. The Chiefs are 15-2 and two this season. But the last time they won a game by more than six points, November 1st, when they beat the Jets 35-9. to So lots of close games since that run. I, I think the Chiefs win the game, Mike, but I'm with you. Uh, of the two games where I'm more likely to see an upset, we know it's so rare to see two number one teams collide in the Super Bowl. The one that I'm more likely to see the upset, it's the Bills. As you said, I can see them winning. I think the Chiefs win, but I can see Buffalo winning. That, that's where I am. I, could, I think the Chiefs win. I would take the Bills and the points, but I could see the Chiefs win. All right, after the break, we'll uh, have a few thoughts on Philip Rivers, plus say farewell to an NFL legend. That's next. Happy trails to Philip Rivers, retiring from football. Now you can finally go have some kids. 17-year career as one of the most prolific quarterbacks in NFL history. 16 years with the Chargers, and then he has one with the Colts. He never played in a Super Bowl, but he's fifth in NFL history. 63,440 passing yards. Eight-time Pro Bowler is also fifth in league history with 421 touchdown passes. Remarkable career. Even though he didn't get the big one, Mike, those are some lofty numbers he put up. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and he's and he's going to go down in NFL history as a uh, a guy that was on a really great team that never got to the Super Bowl. Same thing with Warren. Him and Warren Moon are a lot alike. Both Warren's in the Hall of Fame for some incredible numbers, but both were on great, great teams. I mean, great teams. The Houston Oilers team that Warren Moon was on has freaking was unbelievable talent. The great Mike Holovac picked so many great players for that team that for me, them only going to one conference championship game is flat out remarkable. Same thing with Phillip Rivers. That was a really talented team in San Diego. I don't think you can debate whether he's a Hall of Famer or not. He's going to go in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's what my next book AD is about. That's what I've been working on is, is the, really kind of clean up the Hall of Fame, the book of football, basically, and try to talk about how uh, you know, where the NFL is, how it got there, and then all the players in the hall and where they rank one to a hundred. So, um, you know, I've been working on that lately. And, and I think that Rivers clearly belongs. Is he a top 100 player? You know, I don't think he is, but I know this, you know, he is a truly Hall of Fame talent. Unfortunately, he never won a, won a Super Bowl. Yeah, you think of big moments. The announcement of his retirement came exactly 13 years to the day after he played with a torn ACL and the Chargers loss to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. And his final season in the NFL, he still threw for over 4,000 passing yards. 4,169, 24 TDs. The Colts went 11-5 and this year. 
Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter, M Lombardi NFL, Adnan Esperk. You can follow us on Instagram with that handle as well. And the show's Instagram page at the GM Shuffle. One final thought here, Mike, and that is on Ted Thompson, who passed away at the age of 68. Veteran personnel man spent all but five of his 26 years in NFL front offices with the Green Bay Packers, a two-time Super Bowl champion in Tuttletown, earning a ring as director of pro personnel in the 1996 season and a general manager 14 years later at Green Bay, 125 82 and one and nine playoff appearances over his 13 years as GM. He was inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame in 2019. Your thoughts on Ted and his resume? Well, I mean, Ted was just truly the consummate scout. No one liked the road more than Ted. You know, even when Ted was a general manager, he was on the road all the time. He loved it. He was really good. And, and I mean, he was able to see Aaron Rodgers better than anybody when he was at Cal. He saw him clearly. He knew what he had. He understood him better than anybody. And, I think Ted had that gift to evaluate talent. He understood it. You know, he didn't like he didn't like use a lot utilizing free agency. He really wanted to have compensatory picks. He valued what his strengths were. His strength was building the team through the draft, and he did that. You know, I think if he had a more divergent portfolio in terms of player procurement, it would have been different. But I, I think ultimately, you know, he did exactly what he needed to do and he did it really well. And, and it's sad. I know he was sick towards the end of his time there in Green Bay and I hope he rests in peace. Yeah, certainly did build up through the draft, as you said, whether it was, uh, you know, Brian Balaga, David Bakhtiari, Randall Cobb, Greg Jennings, A.J. Hawk, Mason Crosby, and of course, Aaron Rodgers certainly built up a resume. 16 players who went on to make at least one Pro Bowl while with the Packers. As we close up shop, we never touch politics, but I did want to throw this one at Mike. Inauguration special, Tom Hanks was hosting your man, Bruce Springsteen. I thought it was a particularly evocative edition of Land and Hope and Dreams. Acoustic version was really well done. Not sure if you saw it, but great stuff from Bruce. It's so good. I mean, Land of Hope and Dreams is so much a Flannery O'Connor-influenced song. I mean, if you read any Flannery O'Connor uh, about how she influences Bruce's life. I mean, Bruce is amazing. I mean, he's a man that that despised his Catholic upbringing and yet m- writes so much about faith and hope and, and the the Catholic and the and the Catholic principles that it's you know, and he gets it from reading Flannery O'Connor and all the people that he does read. So it's I heard that song, Ad. Millie and I went to the concert in Oakland, the Oakland Arena, uh, and it was Springsteen just had come back on tour again with the E Street Band because I never wanted to see him without the E Street Band. I thought, you know, I know they were, you know, it's him, but I love the E Street Band. And I, when he played that song, I, I can remember looking at Millie like, I've, I've never heard him play this. Like, where's this song come from? And, and this is before Spotify and, and all that. And I'm like, where did that, like, it just empowered you when he played it. I don't like the version on, on, on the album, the one, the Wrecking Ball tour album. I don't, I don't like how he changed the version. I like the original version, the one that you hear on live from New York. And when he changed it, I was like, holy, where did I, I can't find that song. It's unbelievable. And then it came out no one with that live from New York. So yeah, great song. I mean, I'll listen to Land of Hope and Dreams at least, at least three times a week. It's awesome, man. It's such a great song. And hopefully we can be a more unifying country moving forward. And that begins with watching a lot of great football on Sunday. Enjoy the conference championship games. We'll be back on Monday to wrap it all up. Enjoy the football. Enjoy your weekends, everybody.